Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. We're in a series called I Am. I am, where we're looking at the statements of Jesus in the book of John. Jesus makes this bold claim in the book of John, and he says, I am. And he's basically nodding to the fact that Jesus is claiming his divinity. He's claiming that he's God himself. There's these seven statements. Last week, we talked about I am the bread of life. But all of these statements are centered on this encounter um, with God and Moses in Exodus 3. So up until this point, God doesn't really have a name, doesn't have this name at least. And so he's known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as a generational God. But Moses is sent by God to go deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. And when he's sent to be the deliverer, he looks at God and he says, hey, who do I, who do I say sent me? Like, what's your name? And then God gives him this name. He says, I am who I am. And then Jesus shows up in the book of John and says the exact same phrase. Not what you and I are like, well, I say I am in sentences all the time. But he's saying the exact same phrase that God says in Exodus 3. And he's pointing to the faith. He's making bold claims about his divinity. He's not saying, listen, I'm not a good teacher. I'm not this itinerant Jewish rabbi. I'm not political messiah. I am God. And so it's offensive, right? And it should be. And that's the idea is that Jesus is really dealing with some people when he's making these claims. Today we're going to be in John chapter 8. If you got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. Let our team members know at Next Steps. Uh, also, if you have a phone, you have a Bible. Download you version. Okay, you can go there. But if you're like me and you're old school, you like that paper, that papyrus, come on, get that thing out. If you, if you don't have one, uh, the Sky Bible, it'll be on the screens. Okay, so John 8, 12 through 14, it says this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. What a crazy, what an awesome statement, right? Like what an insane, awesome. He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, bold claims. And the religious elite, the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are. You're appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid, they said. And then Jesus answered. He said, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. And then he says, for I know where I'm coming from. I know where I'm going, but you have no idea where I've come from or where I'm going. And then he drops the mic and he walks away. I just added that. It's not in the Bible. That's my paraphrasing. But he, but it, right before, so a little bit of context for this passage in John 8. Um, right before this moment in John chapter 7, there's something called the Festival of Tabernacles. Festival of Tabernacles or the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's basically one of the celebrations that the Jews had. It's basically just a big Jewish block party for seven days and then really an eighth day. And the Festival of Tabernacles is also called, your Bible may say, or you may have heard it uh, referenced this way, the Festival of Booths. Booths. T-H, okay? My wife was like, please land that. So Festival of Booths. And it's, it's basically people would get together. They had tents right? Tabernacles. They'd have little tents and they would, they would put together, uh, put together the tents with some poles or some limbs and, and they would decorate and they would celebrate the feast. And they would basically, it was Jewish glamping. Basically they just had, they would they would put it together and they would remember, Hey, remember when we were in the desert? Remember when God led us? 
out of Egypt. Remember when we were mobile and we had to do this thing? And it was just a remembrance to God's deliverance of his people as the Feast of Tabernacles. But there's all these really cool traditions attached to it, including the tents. Another really cool tradition that they had was um, the priests would go. The priest would go to the pool of Siloam, and he would dip some water out of the pool, and then he would go over to the altar every single day during the festival, and he would throw water on the other side of the altar. It's like, what is that about? But it was just a nod to the fact that, hey, remember, remember when we had no, nothing to drink? Like, remember when God brought us out, delivered us, and we complained about having nothing to eat or drink in the desert? And then God looked at Moses and was like, hey, go over there and tap tap that stick I gave you, tap that rod on that rock. And then he made water come out of the rock. And so every single day they're like, Hey, let's just remember that. And so the priest would go over every single day and throw water on the other side of the altar. Right. And then, and what's crazy about this is in John seven, Jesus goes to that exact place. And then just like in John six, he looks at people and he says, Hey, are you thirsty? Come and drink. You're never going to be thirsty again. If you were here last week, John chapter six, he looks at thousands of people, an arena full of people, and he says, I am the bread of life. If you're hungry, come here and partake and eat, and you're never going to be hungry again. It's a group of people. This is the miracle with the fish and the loaves, right? He feeds them. They're, you know, they're not content with that. They come after more. Hey, you know, feed us, give us bread again. They keep focusing on physical bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John seven, he says, I am a water that will quench your thirst. I'm I, and then John eight leads us up to this moment in John chapter eight. And in the, um, in the feast of tabernacles, there's also this really cool tradition, this part of that party where they would have these giant candelabras in the middle of the court, right outside of the temple huge candelabras. And they would literally, the priests would dance around them. They'd have celebrations. Again, they're feasting, all this stuff. But, um, but it would just light up the night sky. Like these can't, I think mean, this fire would just light up the night sky because this is first century Palestine. This was not, there was no competing led lights. You know what I mean? Like there was no, like we're still open signs in, you know, in Jerusalem. Like there was nothing competing with the light that was in the center of this courtyard, giant candelabras lighting up the night sky. And then um, they do this every single night during the festival. And then when we look at John chapter 8, beginning with verse 12, this is the next day. This is the day after the festival's over. And the Bible tells us that Jesus wakes up early in the dawn and he comes to the temple and he begins to teach. And Jesus looks at everybody right there where the candelabras are. They're no longer lit. Jesus looks at everyone in the middle of the courtyard and he says, hey, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Like, who says that? You know what I mean? Like, if, you, like, if somebody just walked up to you on the street and just said, hey, I'm the light of the world. You'd be like, bro, get, what are you talking about? So Jesus tells these people, his peers, the religious elite, everybody's in their feelings. Everybody's offended because nobody says this. You either are the light of the world, you're a sociopath, or you're very arrogant if you say things like this, right? And so Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And you and I, when we hear that, uh, we're energized by that. If you're a Jesus follower, you're like, yeah, you are the light of the world. But for the rest of everybody else who's not a Jesus follower, they get offended by that because it's a bold claim. Uh, and we know this because we're people of light. We like light. Even if you're not a believer, you don't share convictions in Jesus, or you don't love or have a relationship with God, you like light. You just do. You use it. All the, you, know, you, go to de- you go to work during the day. You sleep at night. You know what I mean? You're on dormant. You're, you're not moving. You're, not, you're like, I work in the middle of the night. But even if you work in the middle of the night, you flip the light on when it's time to get, you don't get ready in the dark. That's weird. If you do that, don't do that. You, you get ready, you turn the light on, take a shower, turn the coffee on. Like you, if you, if you drive to work, you turn your headlights on, you know, like all, we're people of light. 
Why? Because it's a revelation for what's in front of us and it directs our path. And this is what Jesus is making this claim in this statement. It's such a big claim. Uh, and for the Hebrews, it's an even bigger thing for them because when they hear, I'm the light of the world, you know what they hear? They hear Genesis 1. That's what they hear. You and I, were not Jews, but them, they're going, what are you saying? So this is what they're thinking whenever he says that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless, is formless, empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And, but it says this, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then in verse three, look at verse three, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And so God speaks and the active force in all of creation is light. Structure begins to take the place of formlessness. What was formless is now formed. Darkness is put on its heels and what was now void is filled with life because of the light. And so this is how God interacts with his creation. And this is also what God does in the person of Jesus. As a matter of fact, when he gives Isaiah a word about Jesus in Isaiah 9 two, this is what he says about Jesus. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep, the deep darkness, a light has dawned. And so when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, Jesus is making some claims that are offending everybody present because he's claiming not to be a great teacher. He's claiming not to be a political messiah. He's claiming to be God in that moment. He's claiming his divinity. The Bible says that all things are made for him, made through him, made to him. And Jesus comes and he says, I am the light of the world. And he's saying, I am God in front of all of his contemporaries. He looks at the guys in this passage in John 8, and he says, I know where I'm coming from. And when he makes that claim, they're thinking Genesis 1. And then he says, I know where I'm going. What does the Bible tell us about where Jesus, the light, is going? Revelation 21, 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. Jesus is the glory of God. Every time you see the glory of God in, in Scripture, this is Jesus. And the Lamb is its lamp. I love that line. The Lamb is its lamp. Matter of fact, I don't even, I don't even title this message. I'm just going to call it The Lamb is the Lamb. I don't, uh, but that's so good. The Lamb is the lamp. On that day, you're no longer going to need the sun or the moon, for the glory of God will be their light. There's a day coming where you and I don't even, new creation, new heaven, new earth. We don't need the sun, right? Because we have the lamb as a, Jesus's face just lights it up is what the Bible says. Revelation 21. So Jesus looks at him. He's like, I know where I came from. I was there in the beginning, right? I'm the active force in all of creation. Light entered the picture and things that were formless are now formed. Things that were dark. Now light is shown. There's a great light. Things that were, uh, things that were, um, formless. I give, I give creation to. And so Revelation 21, 23, the city does not need a sun or a moon to shine on it. The glory of God gives it light. And so there's three things I want us to look on um, when, it, when it comes to the person of Christ and his, uh, his claim that we see that he is the light of the world. The first one is that we're being formed. We're being formed. And so um, it's just like, listen, psychology, philosophy, 
uh, spirituality of any kind. I'm talking about people who don't share our convictions as Christ followers, but people who are spiritual people. Everybody would kind of line up with this idea that you are a whole person. You have a physical side and a mental side and emotional side and psychology might not call it your soul, but they would say you have like a spirit mind or whatever psychology says. And then things like philosophy and people who are a people of faith would say you have an eternal soul. So you have a soul. All that's connected because you're one individual. All that, all that, and we know that because if somebody hurts you physically, what happens? A lot of times it has an impact on us emotionally. It can have an impact on us mentally. It can have an impact on us spiritually, even with physical wounds. Um, and we know this too because there's a tug of war a lot of times between our mind and our heart. So your mind will say, bro, don't eat the donut. And your heart says, shut up. I'm going to eat the donut. That's what happens. Like, I want the donut. So, and the Bible tells us that the heart is desperately wicked, by the way. So it's like, you know, it just goes after what it wants to go after. Hey, listen, you didn't budget for that. Why are you buying that thing? Why are you spending that money? You know, your mind's talking. Heart's like, because I want it. You know, and then, and so, and then the body's just kind of along for the ride, if we're being real, right? And so what, what does any of that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with anything? It's because Jesus is the light of the world, and he reveals things to us over a lifetime. If we follow him, we're being formed into his image, and it starts with what we believe. So your life, the actions, the decisions that you make, the places that you go, the things that you do, the things that you say, the things that you see, the things that, all of that is subject to what you believe. And so what we think about who Jesus is It works its way into every part of our being. So in Jesus, I begin to think differently. The light of the world begins to reveal some things to me, and it changes the way that I view others. It changes the way that I view myself. I can see a little bit different now. It changes my heart and even the way that I carry myself. The way that I feel emotionally, physically is subject first to what I believe. And so, um, and we know this. Like, have, have you ever bumped into somebody that you knew from like 10 years ago or 20 years ago? You know what I'm talking about? Like from high school or whatever, and you saw people, and you're like, in high school, they were just, oh, man, they were just so nasty. They were just like, you know, just like jerk, really. You know what I mean? Just not very kind, not very loving. You see them like 10, 20 years later, got like a beautiful family, all humble. You know what I mean? Talking about loving the Lord. Like, who are you? Like, it's just, but God's doing a work on their life. A lot of times it's because they went through some stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Like, a lot of times it's because they went through a hard season, hit rock bottom. God delivered them from that space. But it's, it's cra- how does that happen? How is it that people that you knew 10 to 20 years ago, you meet them 20 years later, and they have totally, completely changed? It's because they're being formed. That's how. That's what the Bible tells us. They're being formed. They're being made into a new thing. And so um, when Jesus says he's the light of the world, We're saying outside of Jesus, we're unformed, and in a relationship with him, we're being formed. If you've got a background in church, for my church people, the word is sanctification. So salvation is that moment where you, man, you fully, you see Jesus for who he is, and you, you, in that moment, you know who you are, and it only makes sense for you to fully surrender your life to him. That's the moment of salvation. But the moment of sanctification is not a moment. Oh, It is all, I mean, it's like forever. You know what I mean? Like sanctification is an ongoing process, being formed. How many of us, have, as Jesus followers, you would say, uh, it is like painfully, like I'm, I'm the least patient person. I hate waiting. And, and this process of sanctification means that I have to continually put off Michael and I have to put on Christ. And it doesn't happen one time. It happens over the course of a lifetime. It's painfully slow. 
right? And yet that's the idea. God keeps us dependent. God keeps us in a place of trust. God keeps us in a place of relationship. Not that we ever fully arrive, but over the course of a lifetime, I just trust him with more. And then what happens when I do that is if I'm obedient, he leads me, he gives me over to more. Like he gives me over to more of what he had for me, more, more of an abundant life. But new life in Jesus is like new life in general, right? So, you know, when babies are born, babies don't come out doing push-ups. You know what I mean? Like if you, if that happens and you ever see it, film that junk, send it to me. I want to see it like, but that's not the way it works. Babies come out and they're, they're very dependent, 99% cartilage. You know what I mean? They have one plate. It's crying. Everything is kind of malleable, even their head. It's just like, if there's one spot on their head, if you, if you press it, it's bad for business. So it's like, they're just there waiting on mom and dad, crying, wipe me, clean me, feed me, do that kind of thing. And over the course of time, what happens? They begin to be able to like communicate a little bit better. They begin to like feed themselves, begin to crawl, begin to walk, begin to run, begin to tie their shoes, begin to wipe themselves, begin to ride a bike, begin to swim. Now I'm learning, you know, like all these things are happening, but it doesn't happen overnight. Some animals in the animal kingdom, some animals, I mean, they just have their baby and the baby just gets out and just runs. It's awesome. It's like, yeah, go ahead, giraffe. Like, get out, you know, like, but like us, we're not that way. That's not the way God created us. He created us in a space. And just what's true of us physically is also true for us spiritually. There's a formation that takes place. So you can come to faith in Christ and be frustrated on Tuesday. When you give your life over to Jesus, you surrendered everything to him. But then like, now there's formation. Now there's revelation. Now things you couldn't see before, now all of a sudden you can see. And there's this process where you're becoming. And so we are being formed. We're being formed. So that's what God is doing. How he's doing it is this. We're moved from darkness to light. So at the beginning, before he said, let there be light, that it was formless and it was dark and it was void. And, and what he's trying to do is formation. How he's doing it is he's moving us from darkness to light. This is Colossians 1, 13 through 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. So for those of you, uh, if you, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, or if you know people out there, you're like, they haven't surrendered their lives to Jesus. This is what it says about life outside of Christ It's called the dominion of darkness. And I know that's offensive. I think that's the, I think that's the whole idea really is for it to be offensive, but it's dominion, dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom. This is God brought us into the kingdom of the son. He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so the idea is that before a relationship with him, we're kind of walking in a spiritual blindness, the dominion of darkness. And if we're being honest, even in a relationship with him, we have a tendency to kind of gravitate towards that. We have a tendency to kind of want to get off the straight and narrow, to have a tendency to want to kind of do things still in the dark. And so what he's saying is, hey, Jesus' light is going to illuminate some things in your life And that's how this formation is going to take place. Jesus is light and he's going to show you where to walk. He's going to illuminate the path. He's going to illuminate also the way to not go and the way that you've been going so that you can realize I've been going the wrong way. And so dominion of darkness, whenever I think of that, I think about, um, I think about our house in our master bedroom and in Solomon's room right next to ours, the nursery, neither one of those have lights, in that we bought an older house. So it's got a fan and we've got some lamps and things like that, which is a non-issue during the day. You know, like you, during the day, it's like, whatever. And nighttime, uh, it is a source of frustration. Uh, and it is the potential to check my witness 
um, in the middle of the night, whenever, because we have a bed that has, it's just a platform bed, like a mid-century modern platform bed. It looks real cool. Look good on the, on the magazine. You know what I'm talking about? But my shins hate it. You know what I mean? And so like, so it's got the mattress, but then it's got this wooden thing. And you just, if it, it just, you know, you catch that sucker just right. You know what I mean? And I don't know about you, I got longer toes, which coffee tables and like the edge of beds, all that kind of stuff is just, I know that's gross. You're like, well, but, but it's just, it's a way for you to, co- like, you'll say things, think things, whatever, in that moment that make you repent, you know, like in the middle of the night, like navigating that space. My wife likes to get ready in the master bedroom, so there's all kinds of things to navigate there, uh, some of which are glass, you know what I mean? And so it's like, and then my son loves to leave um, Hot Wheels and dinosaurs, which are my nemesis. Dinosaurs are the worst, these little tiny uh, plastic dinosaurs. And so navigating all that in the middle of the night is like, oh, Legos for all my parents who've ever stepped on a Lego. Hello. I mean, it's like, what? And so navigating all that in the middle of the night. And so what Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the Lord. He's saying, listen, I want to illuminate where to walk, and where not to, and where you're going wrong, where you've walked off from where the direction for your life that I really wanted you to go. The Bible says that the way that he does this is through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, when he's here, he comes, he equips, he dies in our place, he's resurrected for eternal life for for you and for me, and then he equips uh, his followers, his disciples, leaders in the church. He says, hey, I'm going to hand you the baton, okay? Go make disciples to the ends of the earth, and I want you to baptize people in my name. And here's what, here's what I'm going to do. But don't do it in your own power because you're going to jack it up. Just wait on the Holy Spirit. And when I send you the Holy Spirit, he's going to be able to do some things in and through you. Reveal some things, refine some things, give you direction, give you power that you didn't have to live the life I've called you to before a relationship with me. So the idea is that when I'm in a relationship with Jesus, I get the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I begin to view life differently. Things get illuminated. So if you remember that moment, like who you were before Christ, this is why you and I can have friends who don't share our faith in Jesus. And they'll read the Bible and be like, I don't, it's whatever, man. Like, I don't get, it's cool. It's an ancient text about an itinerant Jewish rabbi. Who cares? Like, nobody cares. Come into a space like this, see people worshiping, and they can't do it. They're just like, I don't understand. I have no idea what this is, what this is about. When you come to faith in Christ and you actually have a relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to do a thing inside of you that begins to show you some things. All of a sudden, when I read the scripture anymore, no longer is it just sitting, like, now it's talking to me. Now it's like, hey, Michael, you got to deal with some stuff, bro. These are the things you got to deal with. like, oh, like he's talking to you, revealing some things, encouraging me, empowering me. And also when it comes to worship or life or prayer, any of those things, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to illuminate. I'm going to show you what you couldn't see before, and it's going to give you to over uh, to a more amazing, more abundant life. And so God wants to take you down that path, wants to take us to truth, towards a life of loving others well, but he also wants to illuminate for all of us where we've missed the mark. And this is the painful part, the part that we hate the most, but honestly, it's the only way for us to get back to what he intended for us uh, to do and who he called us to be. Nothing is hidden from God. That's another part of what Jesus is saying when he says, I'm the light of the world. He's saying, I see all your business. That's what he's saying. So you have no secrets. If you're feeling cocky spiritually, just give it time. Just give it time. You can either be humble or you can be humbled. Those are your options biblically. Just read the text and just live life and just watch it play out. I promise you. That's a prophetic word for everybody. You will be humble or you will be humbled. Those are your options, okay? And so you're not getting away with anything. Uh, and this is what the Bible teaches us. This is what King David teaches us in Psalm 139. It's so good. 
But I mean, if anybody should know, King David should know. As a guy who um, had a guy murdered and a guy who had committed adultery and then got his business put on blast for not only, not only everybody who lived at the time of King David, but we're still talking about his business. If we're, if we're, you know what I mean? Like it's just in the Bible. So, but here's what David says about not being able to hide from God in Psalm 139. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. And the night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. There is no hiding. There's no hiding. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He's saying, listen, I want to show you the direction for your life. I also want to reveal to you the areas that you're missing it. Not so I can condemn you, not because I'm angry, not so that I can judge you, but so that you'll actually walk in the direction that you're supposed to go. That's the whole point. But you can't hide. And a lot of us are hiding. Uh, you can't camouflage it. Things like church. Sometimes we camouflage it with church. Like, I'm going to go to church. I'm a good church person. I'm going to post things on my social media. I'm going to post a passage of scripture. Meanwhile, my heart is a wreck, and I'm like poison. You know, so it's like, so you don't, don't hide. Don't camouflage. He can see you. Uh, we have this damning culture in the church today. And, uh, and I think especially in the American South, but where we have to pretend like we have it all together where I have to be my ideal self, and if I'm not, for fear of what you may think of me, for fear of what others may say, for fear of losing my job or losing my marriage or losing a relationship or losing... We just, we fear people more than we do God. Rather than fearing and just being like, hey, I got to take him at his word. I got to be obedient. I got to confess. I got to repent. We care more about the appraisal of other people than we do about God until we get to a broken place. You know when people really hit rock bottom and they're ready to like get deal with things when people come to the altar when it is jacked up not when they're a little bit off not when they're like a little bit in the dark when they are way off. like that's when people want to deal with things and so what he's teaching us in the scriptures hey i'm going to illuminate some things in your life i'd rather you be honest so that i can help you it's kind of like this is the way we parent with our kids so anytime we have um Things in our house just break randomly. I don't know if this happens in your house, but stuff in our house will break and no one did it. No one. Who did it? I don't know. I don't know who did it. I mean, you did it. I mean, she did it. She was in there last. I don't know. And so no one did it. And, uh, and no one owns up to it. Like, no one is honest. And this is not a thing that we taught our children. It's just in them. You know what I mean? It's just also in you. So it's like we're just... And, and so, but until, until we extend our kids some grace... And we say, hey, listen, we don't care so much about that. We just want you to be honest in this moment. So here's the thing. If you're honest with us, the punishment is a lot less than if we found out you lied about it. Here's the punishment if we found out that you lied about it. And then they're like, it was me. I did it. I totally did it. You know what I mean? But only in response to our grace. Only in response. It gives us an opportunity as mom and dad to show our kids that we love them and we care more about the truth and we care more about who they're becoming than we do about whatever it is that they broke or whatever they did. And so it's a great message for us to preach. It's a great message for our kids to experience. If we're being honest right now, most of us, everybody in this room, we struggle with a fear of man issue, fear of what others may think of us. Uh, It keeps us from fearing God the way that we should. And he tells us in scripture, nothing is hidden. Nothing. He sees it all. 
Light has, has the power to overtake. Listen, you think, I'm going to do this thing in the dark, and I'm, I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to do this thing, and nobody's ever going to find out about this thing. No. You, you, we found out uh, either now or even worse, later. Right? So the idea is take what's done in the dark, drag it into the light, and begin to deal with, uh, with all of that. Um, light always wins. It always wins. So I want you to think about the area of your life right now, whatever you're struggling with, and um, all the areas in your life that you really are struggling with, usually those are areas in your life that you, uh, you just simply lack light. You simply lack transparency. You simply lack accountability. Nobody else knows right? This is the reason why James 5 is so powerful when he says, hey, confess your sins one to another so that you can find healing. And the reason why is because other people now know things that were once dark, things in what you were trying to deal with in your own power and dealing with manage yourself. Now, all of a sudden there's accountability. Now there's other other people praying on your behalf. There's other people. And then, and then it just gives you over to a freedom in an area of your life where you lacked it before because there's light on it. Light always wins. If you open up your door at night, right? Let's say you're at home. It's pitch black outside. You open up the door to your living room. Lights on inside. What happens? Does darkness flood into the living room? No. Light comes outside. And darkness is just the absence of light. If there's an area of your life that you're struggling, put light on it. Put light on it. That's what he's trying to say. And Jesus says, I am the light. So spend time with me. Spend time with me in prayer. Spend time with me in my word. I'm going to reveal to you what straight and narrow looks like, the path that I want for your life. And when I do that, what's going to happen is by the Holy Spirit, it's just going to hit you all the areas that you missed it. And again, not because I want to condemn you or judge you, because I want the truth for you and I want to set you free. And so light shows us what's true, what we can clearly see. We can clearly see it when the light is on, but it also reveals to us what was once in the dark, what's not true. Turn the light on. And look what happens. Uh, look what happens at the beginning of this passage in John chapter 8. So before Jesus looks out on everybody and says, I'm the light of the world, this is what happens in John's account, John's gospel at verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple court. So again, right day, day right after uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus shows up in the temple courts, candelabras in the middle of the court, where all the people gathered around, and he sat down and he taught them. Verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us uh, to stone such a woman. What do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And they went on questioning him and he straightened up and he said, hey, any of you who's without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. And then again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. In verse nine, those who heard him begin to go away one at a time. Hey, if you're without sin, cool, let's do this thing. Throw that stone. People begin to take inventory of the catalog of sin in their life. And all of a sudden you hear all these stones start to hit the ground. And I love the passage of scripture because it says the older ones first. It's like, what is that about? Well, if you're older, you have a greater portfolio of sin in your life than if you're younger. 
And if you're younger, you probably got a good portfolio as it is. But just give yourself time. You'll develop more. And so all these people who are older, they're looking and they're going. They know, listen, there's something about, there is a reason why Bible talks about people who are older have this level of wisdom because they have this level of humility. Life has happened. I should be real. When you're 20-something, you think you know more than you know. And as someone who's been 20-something, and that's not, I'm not saying that you're not smart or that you could probably be way further ahead than I was when I was 20-something, and yet you still think you know more than you know. And that when you're in your 50s and your 60s, what happens? Some life has happened. You know what I mean? You've learned some things the hard way. You're starting to mellow out a little bit. You're starting to get a little bit more humble. You're like, okay, yeah. yeah. So the older ones put their stones down first because they're doing this cataloging. They're going, man, I am, I am broken, and I cannot be the one to throw this stone. And so here's this woman caught in the act of adultery, and if it were not for how wicked all of the Pharisees were, she'd already be dead. They did not care. They didn't need Jesus' approval to stone this woman. As a matter of fact, up to this point, they would have just done it, right? But what they were trying to do in this moment, the Bible tells us, is they're baiting this woman to Jesus. They're trying to trap Jesus in this moment. That's how wicked they are. Hey, we're going to use her for Jesus. Let's bring him. Let's bring. And so she's caught. She's not coming clean. There's no, she's not like remorse or confession. She's not like dealing with some stuff and like, I really got to go to the prayer meeting. Like there's none of that. She's caught in the act. The Bible tells us, and, uh, and they drag her out in front of Jesus. And I imagine in that moment, she's kneeling down. She's cowering, probably crying, probably roughed up already a bit, uh, fighting off her accusers. I don't know about you, but if I was going to be taken to be stoned by somebody, I'd probably be fighting back, you know? So she's probably roughed up a little bit already. And in bringing her to Jesus, they made the mistake of bringing her to her salvation. So everyone drops their rock and walks off. And this is verse nine. Only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. You know why Jesus was left? Jesus don't have any sin. Everybody else who had a rock to throw has left the picture. And Jesus, who was without sin, who could throw the rock, just stands there. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up. He lifts her head and he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no, sir. He says, I don't condemn you either. Now go and leave your life of sin. What I love about Jesus is the light illuminates. He reveals to the Pharisees, hey, you're not without sin. He reveals to this woman a path of grace and forgiveness and the gospel message that she does so desperately needs, that I'm for you, that I love you. And then he reveals to her this area of truth. Hey, go, leave. don't sin anymore. That led you to this moment. Don't do that anymore. So it's always with Jesus, both grace and truth. It's always, hey, this is the path that that I want you to walk on. This is the grace for your life. And truth, this is some areas where you're missing it, that we desperately need to deal with some things. And it reminds me, I love it. We mentioned it last week, John 3, 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. If God wanted to condemn the world, he would have sent a condemner. But God wanted to save the world, so he sent a savior. And so Jesus lifts the head of this woman, who by law did not deserve it. And he says, hey, I don't condemn you. I want more for you. I want to lead you to a fullness. Go and sin no more. So what does that mean for us? Jesus is the light of the world. You spend time with him and you get formed. That's what God's doing. He's, he's forming us. And how he's doing it is anywhere there's darkness, he just shines light on that. And then it's our response to the light. That's, that's our step. He makes your path straight. We see where we've missed the mark. 
But also, like this woman in this passage and all of the Pharisees, we get a chance to see that we're a sinner and we, we need to begin to flesh some things out. We got an opportunity in that moment where we realize, hey, there's some things in my life that don't have light on them. The Bible talks about three things. We can confess it. We can, like this woman, wait until someone outs us. Generally, that's what we do if we're being real. But the Bible says, hey, you don't have to wait to that moment. You can confess it. You can just let people know what you're dealing with, what you're struggling with. Hey, I missed the mark. Hey, this has been done in secret. Hey, this has been done in the dark. God, I need some light in this area of my life. Or you can wait. And here's what's insane. It, it is the absolute mercy of God. It's insane how merciful God is and that this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And yet he leverages that for her good and for his glory. Because the thought is, man, it's really hard when people know my business. That's for your good. Now it's got light on it. Now you don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to, now it's got light on it. The Bible tells us there's a third option that we see in scripture. If you read Romans 1, towards the end of Romans 1, it talks about it. But that God will actually give you over to the desires of your heart. If you're pursuing things other than him, at some point, he's just like, just take it. Just go with it. See how that works for you. And in Romans 1, if you read that passage of Scripture, it talks about we're willing to go to places and do things in that moment that we never thought we would, we would do, places we never thought we would go, because he just gives us over to the things that we've pursued instead of pursuing him. Jesus says, I don't want that for you. I want to form you. And how I'm going to do that is going to, I'm, it's light. I'm going to be light for your life. And ultimately what that means, the reason why I do any of that is this. It's that Jesus fills the void with full life. If you read Genesis 1, formless, dark, void. And Jesus says, I come, John 10, 10. I came that they may have life and that they would have it to the full. Not just like a little bit of life. Not just autopilot, not just going through the motions, not just pretending, not just, you know what, I'm going to pacify something. Like I'm just going to fake it. Because it's just easier to fake. No, it's not. He sees you. Nothing is hidden. He's asking you and begging you, hey, the fullness of life is on the other side of, of letting me illuminate your life. And so there's things that you and I, listen, you don't even have to be a Jesus follower or believe in God to experience common grace. So like a sunset at the beach, you could be a God-hating pagan. You could be just like the literally, you could be the biggest secularist ever, like hate everything about gatherings like this and be like, that is a pretty sunset. I like that sunset. That is so cool. You know what I mean? Like, or, or go to dinner and eat like a nice filet and drink like a glass of wine and be like, that was good. You know what I mean? Or just experience just what, fill in the blank with whatever common grace you know, that we pursue. A lot of the things that we pursue, you can have a good marriage, you can have a good career, you can have physical intimacy with people, you can have all these things and they, they feel good, things in and of themselves, they taste good, they look good, all that kind of stuff. But Jesus says, hey, if you want to experience it to the fullest, I'm the only way. I'm the only way. And so Jesus comes so that we would not settle. He also comes so that we would have life. So he says, it's not even about, it's like, well, I'll just live my life kind of mediocre. He's like, no, you will die. You are dead. In your sin, you are dead. I came that they may have life and that they would have it to the full. Not a future life in eternity, but so that you would have a fullness of life now. And it's on the other side of being formed. It's on the other side of illumination and light. It's on the other side of asking God, God, just fill me with your presence. 
the experience of life it just hits different with Jesus so I can eat the steak and I can drink the wine and I can see the sunset and I can experience all the things that we tend to we tend to think about but but in Jesus I think about him different I think my God he made the sunset look like cotton candy that's insane what is up like he just made that for us he didn't have to do that he just made it like a really plain sunset you know what I mean he's just like I'm just showing off I'm just making cotton candy sunsets you know what I mean like just all the things that were like, he just gives us over to fullness. And what it does is it makes me worship him for who he is, which is the whole point. Not for what he's done, not for what he's doing, not for creation, not for material, not for the things that we pursue. He says, I want to get you to a place that you realize all the things are a means to an end. I am the end. I am the light of the world. I am the point. I'm the door. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the good shepherd. I am God. I'm what you need to satisfy all your needs. How amazing is it that he gives us? And the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that he sets that in us from the beginning of time. This desire and this need for him, not for things. This is what Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he's also set eternity in the human heart. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Jesus comes, and he says, hey, I know where I've been, and I know where I'm going. And if you want, if you want to follow me, if you want new creation, if you want heaven, if you want the fullness of life, I am the light. So I just want to encourage you today, wherever you're at in your faith or lack thereof, there's more for you. There's more for you. He has so much more for us. And the way, the way that he leads us there, the way that he shows us, he illuminates that path. He shows us the next step to take. And he shows us some areas where we've missed it. Again, not because he's mad at you, not because he's angry, not because he wants to judge or condemn you, because he wants to give you over to more of himself. He wants you to experience the life for which you were created. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for your life. Thank you so much for the way you love us. Thank you so much that you came. and God, you're still doing a great work. The same resurrection power that brought you out of the grave is the same resurrection power that we see on display today for those who are taking the next step, for those who have surrendered their lives. And God, you're going to give them over to more of yourself. So I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would illuminate the path that you want to take them on. I pray you begin to form them into your image by revealing through your word, through a time of prayer, through other believers and, and people, just spiritual mentors, people who are a little bit further along, say, hey, come this way, this is the way to go, that you would just reveal to them on the way to go, God. Illuminate the path, light up the direction for their life, and also just reveal and show them some inconsistencies by your Holy Spirit so that we just would align and just not settle for less than what you paid for. Jesus, help us to not settle for less than what you paid for. Life in the fullness of life. Eternity in the abundant life now were costly. And so often we settle for the gifts that you've given rather than really desiring you as the giver. And so I pray today that would happen in the hearts of those who are here. Holy Spirit, I pray you do what only you can do in this moment. Lift the head of those, everybody in this room, God, everybody who's watching online, help us to see and experience you fresh and remind us that you love us, that you're for us and that you desire that we walk in truth and that you desire, just as a heavenly father, God, more for every single one of us. 
more than we want for ourselves, exceedingly and abundantly more than we want for ourselves. And so if you're like me, this is an area of your life you have to work on continually being formed into the image of Christ. I just want you to think about what does that look like for my life? What, what are some areas that I need to work on? What are some areas that maybe are still in darkness and I need to work towards the light? Not in my own power, but I need to do what the Bible tells me. Confess, repent, bring it out into the light so that God can deal in my heart and uh, establish my steps. And if you're here today and you've never fully surrendered your life to Jesus, Jesus loves you. He came. He is the light of the world. He lived a perfect le- life and he died a death that you and I deserve and atone for our sins on the cross so that we could experience right relationship with God. That is the gospel message, not based on your good works, not based on church attendance, not based on what you did, not based on who your parents are, but based on his finished work and his finished work alone. He lifts your head and by the Holy Spirit, you see Jesus for the very first time ever. And it only makes sense to surrender your life to him. If you're here today, I want to give you an opportunity to confess him as Lord right where you sit. Prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But right where you're at, just in boldness and full of faith, if you would do me a favor, just raise your hand right where you're at and say, that's him. I want to choose Christ today as my leader, as my savior, as my Lord, I'm surrendering my life to him. I'm going all in today. I'm giving him my life. I see hands in the room. Thank you. Just pray this prayer right where you're at, wherever you are in your faith. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. God, some of us need to resurrender. Some of us have a relationship with you, but there's some areas of our life, God, we have just drifted into a place that's dark and you desire light. So I pray you'd give us over to that. For those of us who are for the very first time, Jesus seeing you and surrendering our lives fully. I pray today, Holy Spirit, that you would mark this moment. You do a work in them so that you could do a great work through them. And so by your light, Jesus, establish our steps. We see you as Savior. We see your life and your death and your resurrection, God. And our full faith is in your finished work on the cross and, and in your conquering of death, your victory over sin and hell and the grave. And we claim that today in boldness. But also, we ask for your help. By the guidance of your Holy Spirit, you would establish our steps. You would reveal the path of life for us. You would help us to see the truth so that we can walk in it. All the areas that we need to reveal, God, and bring out into the light. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.